0: Hello, I'm standing on top of Manithsillin, about a 15-minute walk from home. It's the highest point in Carmarthenshire at 284 metres and is distinguished by its twin masts which make it distinctive to spot on the horizon. And uh, I'm standing close to two wind turbines that are certainly turning at a fair pace as the wind gets up uh, in the evening sunshine. Now from here I get a 360 degree view, a genuine 360 degree view which includes Llelley and Cum Gwendraith in the foreground, then the Pembrokeshire coast, the Procelles, the Brecon Beacons, Wormshead on Gower and on a good day I can even see Lundy off the north Devon coast. The mountain, well, it's got its place in history. It was where 3,000 people met during the Rebecca riots, a meeting that would lead eventually to a petition to the Queen, that's Victoria, and an eventual end to the conflict. The riots, well, they weren't about the tolls people were being charged to walk on the roads of West Wales, I think much more about the economic conditions that people were living in, in in rural West Wales, and they wanted change. Well, in this series of podcasts, change is once again a theme that runs through all of the conversations. The change is a transformation in the way we think about, talk about, invest in and use our forests and woodlands and the timber that they produce. I'm David Hedges. I've been managing the Homegrown Homes Project for Wood Knowledge Wales. We completed its first phase at the end of March and we're now embarking on a a new phase to implement the learning and move from research into action. We're working with a wide range of stakeholders on the journey to radically reduce the amount of carbon that we're producing in creating net zero homes and communities. And this series of podcasts captures the thoughts, ideas, frustration, determination, and passion of people for which trees and timber are an important part of their work and for some their life. From the top of the mountain I don't see many trees in the landscape, apart from some wooded valleys, trees in the hedgerows and the odd plantation in the distance the view is mostly of fields and pasture. This slice of West Wales is is agricultural, it's a place where we once mined coal to power the industrial economy. The fields support sheep and cattle and the crops that feed them, after all we are a sheep beef and a dairy nation. The haze over Portalbert, which I can also see from here, reminds me that for some Wales is also a steel nation. Now wouldn't it be great if we could also be a forest nation, one transformed by the planting of trees and the creation of a wood culture where people and communities could derive an economic interest in timber. Where we could naturally capture and store carbon and build many more high-performance, zero-carbon homes from timber. Is it such a mad idea? This series again features two people in conversation. All recorded remotely during the pandemic. We had the occasional technical gremlin, but these didn't distract us from the task at hand. This podcast has the theme of innovation. It's a conversation with two designers and makers, Rob Thomas, based in Wales, and Matt Stevenson, based in Scotland. Rob lives in Cardiff and is a qualified architect, passive house designer and director of his own practice, hiraith, which in Welsh means longing or yearning for your home. His career has seen him successfully combine applied research into the design, development and application of innovative timber technologies using homegrown timber and increasingly low carbon, low energy, high performance and off-site manufactured solutions. He's worked with Wood Knowledge Wales on a whole life net zero carbon solution for social housing as part of the Homegrown Homes project. Matt is based near Inverness and is the founder of Ecosystems Technologies, a company dedicated to digital transformation in construction, applied innovation in timber technology and the democratisation of sustainable, healthy building solutions. He previously founded Carbon Dynamic with the mission of delivering social, environmental and industry impact. Like Rob, he has a passion for innovation and approaches which balance technical and engineering evolution with design and manufacturing delivery. He co-developed The Fit Home, a technologically enabled assisted living housing solution incorporating artificial intelligence, predictive analytics to improve tenants' health outcomes. Lately, he's been a key part of a project being led by a consortium of partners in Scotland looking at laminating Scottish timber to create the structural elements of buildings. The plan is to showcase the project at COP26, the UN conference, in Glasgow later this year. My first question to first Rob and then Matt was a simple one. Why do we innovate?
1: I think I was thinking uh, with this is um, that actually we probably see every project as an innovation, um, everything, no two projects for us are ever the same, so we, we're always looking at, um, you know, ev- every kind of architectural project is eff- effectively a prototype, so there's an element of innovation in in every piece, whether it's um, technical or, you know, just in response to the particular geography or climate of, of where a project might happen so even when we're not looking at a r and d type project we are constantly finding ourselves innovating um i think what's important is that we're not just reinventing the wheel uh, so it's it's not innovation for innovation's sake but we we're, we're constantly responding to a, to a, a a a set of scenarios that are requiring us to think differently and um and often kind of tackle different challenges. So we innovate because we have to, I think. Um, we have to respond to the the project in front of us. If we don't, um, we start trying to fit solutions to our sites, to our economic or social context or communities, and typically they don't work. Matt?
2: Yeah, no, I think that's all right. And I suppose if I looked at more... Fundamentally, why do we innovate? I mean, I guess as, sh- as human beings, it must you know it must be kind of s- somewhat uh, ingrained in in us to innovate. I guess that's why you know humans uh, have have the role or the position that we do in in the in the in the world, and it's what has led us to be very successful. But it's also <laughs> what's led us to be uh, a massive problem. So um, so. Uh, why? Why do we? Why do we innovate? And what what would happen if we don't? Well, we 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 need to take that innovative sort of gene and and uh, an approach and make sure that we use that now with the visibility that we have uh, on, on on what previous innovations have done. And I, I think I think traditionally innovation uh, w- was. Was probably founded on efficiency and and, and economy and, and how to do the best with with what we have available. And of course, that you know that used to be what was immediately available. And so it was much um, logically much more uh, naturally sort of circular in approach. As uh, uh, over over the last uh, century or, or, or more, we've we've obviously become much more uh, exploitative with that with that innovative uh, approach. And it, and it's been it's been geared towards. Uh, sort of financial benefit um, but losing sight of the uh, environmental sort of balance that's required so so I think I think the you know, current innovation is a needs to be about how we reset some of that balance and that's 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 certainly what drives us um, and uh, yeah that's why it's so important I guess.
0: You've teed me up for a question about what you're doing now in terms of of innovation, which is, I guess, Matt and and then Rob, an opportunity to talk about some some of what you're doing in your day to day work to to innovate. Would you describe that, Matt?
2: Yeah, no, sure. I guess I guess we're trying to use um, the innovation that we're doing to take take that circular approach to look at how do we use a combination of sort of digital uh, innovation and timber technology innovation primarily being our, our sort of two key drivers. How can we use that to achieve a, a better, more balanced sort of uh, product solution set of solutions? How can we use that to sort of democratise healthy, um, affordable um, uh, building building solutions? How can we make that the norm? What are the solutions that we can that we can evolve to to do that? So we're looking uh, very much at taking the homegrown timber resource, for example, and looking through through innovation and collaboration to see how can we maximize the way that we can use that homegrown resource how can we engineer it how can we harness it to to to, to better effect uh, to, to to work efficiently with that product um to work locally uh, and driven by our understanding of that resource and that homegrown resource specifically how do trees grow in scotland for example uh, how do how do we use the resulting characteristics of that specifically grown sort of tree um to to have an optimized building product how do we engineer that how do we how do we understand the that supply chain resource and how do we understand the demand side you know in terms of what the market needs what does the market need that it doesn't know it needs yet you know what what new product and solutions can can we come up with um that allows us to both maximize the use of that natural and regenerative resource and to keep the resulting uh, product in in, in, a, in a very long life cycle so that it is a much more circular product that can be reused uh, and be purposed over time key to that being we keep capture that carbon and keep it in the in the cycle for as long as possible
0: wow what an answer rob same question to you really what 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 are you currently doing <laughs> that that involves a degree of, of innovation
1: there's definitely some parallels between what we're doing. Um, we, we're at, as a architectural practice, we are, are looking at innovation in a number of different ways. We are doing kind of project led innovation where we are developing particular responses for, um, particular scenarios and, and clients, but then we're also, um, working with industry and, um, and research partners to look at applied research projects. So um, with Wood Knowledge Wales, uh, we're looking particularly at the area of zero carbon uh, for affordable homes um, and thinking about what the definition and uh, the realities might be for those challenges within a very particular sector. And fundamentally, that is focused on the fabric, and considering how we develop and work with our timber frame industry to develop fabric solutions. We're also working with other partners, uh, manufacturing partners, where we're thinking quite directly about product development, using homegrown timber, as as Matt, you describe, um, different resource in Wales, different set of characteristics and, and different challenges, a very different supply chain, for example. But looking at how we can bring together digital manufacturing with the manufacturing skill sets that we've got within Wales and developing yeah, high performance products really. So some of that is pro- quite product led where we do have commercial kind of avenues, uh, looking at things like the home office market and leisure buildings, and then some of it is about homes and and building high performance, uh, high quality and offsite manufactured homes.
0: Rob, what's driving this innovation that you're that you're involved in? What's pushing that? You talked about sort of demand, but to, but to some extent, I guess you're you're also pushing it yourself, aren't you? As a as a key part of the process.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think we are, or or at least ourselves and our and our manufacturing partners. I think um, we've had the the fortune to work with some really great partners, and um, they have particular skill sets, particularly around offsite manufacturing, that we've we've helped to bring towards a marketplace. and And sometimes that has been creating the marketplace, the market it, around homegrown timber, for example. Um, I've been involved in this area for. You know, I, I did a PhD looking at um, the use of homegrown timber. So we ha- we have sort of 10, 12 years of working in this area of application and the motivations are really challenging. But in the end, it comes down to the the guys in the factory knowing the material, wanting to use it, wanting to get the best from it and create really good products that in itself has then stimulated a set of products that we and, and routes to market that are creating some great opportunities on the other side of it then is is where we see we are seeing sort of political motivations um, clearly the, the climate emergency and and how we're addressing the climate emergency is then leading us towards avenues of research that at the moment the industry just simply isn't there So so we're looking at how we can Bring the industry forward into you know into to meet
0: those some of those challenges. And Matt, what what are the drivers for you? Are, are they similar ones?
2: Yeah, yeah, de- definitely. I would uh, uh, everything Bob's saying there resonates. Um, you know, I, th- I think key drivers. You know, the the, the environmental uh, emergency uh, is 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 fundamental and key. Um, and recognizing the status quo in the industry as being so far away from 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 where it needs to be to address that 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 impending it's you know it's it's upon us it's not it's not a thing in the future any anymore uh you know the, the, we, we can't question how you know the challenge that that is before us in 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 responding to that crisis and it needs you know proactive um uh, approach to 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 addressing that it needs you know us to work from within within the industry to try to to uh, transform uh, uh, disrupt and and transform from the industry to to hopefully sort of um, lead the charge um, but also to to, to create the, uh, the the conditions for for others to sort of follow, follow suit um, because by the time everybody is fully on board with the fact that it's an imperative it's you know it's well it's already too late in many respects so um so i think i think you know that that's a key driver what I think uh, it's a real motivation to think, you know, what can we do within our individual organisations to make change? But where it gets really exciting is, you know, how can that change um, actually be, that, 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 that not, how can that knowledge be transferred and how can that disruption have a positive impact? And, you know, how, how can we put those, uh, put those innovative ideas, you know, uh, out into the world and see, see them take, take, take hold and take root in, in other bits of the industry? So.
1: Go on, Rob. Well, I, I think you, you you might be alluding to it as well about this idea of of um, of driving change and 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 interfering. Sheer frustration is a massive motivator <laughs> for yeah. me. I I think you know what we're seeing uh, in the in the construction industry is is so much inefficiencies and ineffectiveness yeah. and and a um, you know I, I've I've worked in the industry for for. 14 years um and during that time the amount of real innovation and the amount of real change that's coming from innovation is frustratingly poor and whether that's to do with procurement or technical delivery um you know we we're in a in in a an industry at the moment which is uh, allowing a performance gap significant Mm -hmm. performance gap is is not Embracing the need for um, massive change uh, to meet our, our, you know, declared climate um, challenges, and we're then seeing other industries, you know, whether it's the car industry, manufacturing, um, energy, all make massive, swift changes, and yet we have a construction industry that fundamentally, particularly in terms of performance in our, in our housing, for example, has not dramatically changed in a decade. So sheer frustration comes into this that you know we we think we can make change and we think we can make it quite quickly um
0: but it's not happening yet Matt, you're as frustrated as Rob I sense
2: yeah no I, I, absolutely and I think that's right and it, it's you know what a you yeah, what is bound up in this challenge that means that it's yeah that it, it it doesn't change i mean when you when you look at the horrific stats you know like uh, is it forty percent of uh, carbon emissions come from construction uh you know similar similar sort of proportions of waste i mean it's monumentally horrific you know and at the moment, I guess the industry and in the house house builder sort of um, culture you know that you can get away with just just continuing to um deliver buildings that just perform to the lowest you know required standard um you know and whilst ever that the motivation is around you know making you know, sell, selling uh, a building to a first punter and then walk, walking away and, and it's profit driven, you know, that it's, it's no wonder that, that that doesn't change. And when that's it, the backdrop to the rest of the market, you know, that's the large proportion of the market and the rest of the market uh, has that as a backdrop. So um, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's fundamentally challenging to try to, to, to make it inroads in that. And I think, you know, it's 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 why it's so crucial that the innovations that we do can be applied and they can be you know can be um uh, adopted uh, elsewhere and, and scaled because you know the, the the our industry has huge problems uh in front of it um and, and burying our heads in the sand uh will not serve it well uh as an industry full stop never mind you know the the wider objectives of, of addressing the the climate challenge um, and societal challenges um, materials uh you know are un- we're under significant pressure the pandemic's really amplified some of the some of the challenges around uh, material scarcity and availability um, skills are just you know going to drop off a cliff you know uh, and uh, an off-site manufacturing approach uh, offers so many of the of the solutions to that um, it's it's not difficult but it's easier to continue uh as is until until the moment where you can't do it anymore and it's you know that change must start to come you know we see it with the uh you know with oil and gas industry you know at at a certain point uh it, everything pivots and actually the, 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 the next big embrace is on that future market and that future opportunity. Well, you know, we just need to bring that moment in time forwards a bit uh, and put that significant resource that, uh, and, and significant expertise and capability that ex- exists within our industry, you know, some, some find a mechanism to, to combine the effort to uh, to address these challenges before before they are insurmountable.
1: So, so yes, frustrated, (laughs) but that's the massive positive is um, walk from a a traditional construction site into a timber manufacturer of which we have some phenomenal ones in, in Wales. You walk into that workshop and see the quality, the, um, the accuracy, the, the, the measures they've got, the processes that they've got in place there. It hits you round the face that this is the way we should build.
0: Are you finding that that there are people in the industry who are not sitting and waiting and happy to continue to deliver stuff that clearly has a performance gap issue? Are some of them coming forward, being receptive to ideas, wanting to be part of what you're doing, or do they kind of, not so much turn their back, but are they... Are they just focused entirely on continuing to deliver what they've always delivered
2: i'll I'll, I'll go that I think much more uh, and increasingly uh, the former uh, I'd be pleased to to say i think I think probably we're seeing a shift from uh, a point where innovation you know was seen as a mechanism to attract sort of interest in in the business and sort of you know have something shiny that that that's actually you know doesn't necessarily deliver to the core of the business, but, you know, as is a, is a signpost of intent. Um, I think we're seeing a shift from that to actually genuine sort of intent and embracing the, the fact that no, actually through, through innovation, through embracing the, uh, the, the, the opportunities to, to modernise how, how we do things, to embrace digital and, and manufacturing sort of opportunities, how um, how that can actually give give genuine commercial advantage to, to, to companies. You know, these things need to make commercial sense to 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 have any scope to be have mainstream adoption. So we need to be realistic about that, and we need to embrace that ourselves to be able to do the work that we do sustainably uh, from a financial point of view, and and to give ourselves the the platform to to, to scale. Um, and I think that's that's increasingly sort of recognised uh, 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 and embraced. And I think you know the dr- good drivers are opportunity and fear of loss. And I think you know we will increasingly see see you know uh, as there's more and more adoption of, uh, of of more innovative approaches and more sustainable approaches. You know it it, it will start to ha- have a uh, have a sort of crescendo, hopefully. But you know there are, there are yeah it is it's still often like wading through tree corn at the same time. So.
0: Rob, I can see you smiling. Would you would you say much the same?
1: Yeah, we've been fortunate to work with people that are leaders in that regard and and really capable of understanding what they where they need to get to and then you know pushing that path really really well. I think we're seeing a lot of other organisations that recognize that they need to do something they need to be uh, open to innovation and whether that's through manufacturing again technical innovation or an understanding of performance and materials and yeah and technology they still come at it with a, a a reasonable level of question and um and 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 i don't think you've got hearts and minds fully
0: but but that's that's okay isn't it that's that's not unreasonable yeah, I,
1: I think what we also see though as well is there are companies that want the end goal. They just don't want the bit in the middle, and and the reality of I think what we're talking about here requires investment, um, and that isn't just financial investment. It's time. It's um, it's developing a th- you know a, allowing time to think in this development process, and sometimes taking the wrong. Um, the, the wrong path and having to, you know, sometimes step back and, and rethink and go in a different direction. And, you know, for, for me, a, a real kind of R&D project is one where you can make some mistakes along the way and learn from them um, and not be constantly sort of driven by the the challenge of is it, you know, is that a financially sensible, sustainable decision? Is that, you know, it, it's, you've got to be able to make some of those mistakes along the way. And, and, and you know, we have to look at these sorts of projects as different to our very kind of commercially driven projects where the output is a building, for example. They do take different paths. It's more winding. It's not a straight line. and um, and that is a bit of a challenge i think for for commercial partners
0: mm-hmm. if um if i had a list of of the ingredients that you need to have in place to innovate you you are ticking them off slowly we've had leadership we've had investment particularly in terms of time you touched on material and i i would like you to both talk a little bit about the the raw material that you that you're both particularly interested in uh what what else is on the list matt in terms of ingredients for for innovation
2: i mean i think a key ingredient is is collaboration i think it's all or it's the secret sauce is the collaboration you know that 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 needs to underpin everything i think you know we we can do the innovation we can do by by collaborating as 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 widely and as openly as as we can do um you know and and that's What's required to deliver applied innovation and applied R and D. Rob, you said you know, about applied R and D earlier. I think that's 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 a real key point to this, and I think it's where you know we can we can play our role in this because there's this fantastic work that goes on in academia. You know, through you know the the various innovation centres, we we collaborate. You know describe uh, from as a uh, serial collaborator with uh, like Sir Napier University and uh, Construction Scotland Innovation Centre and you know you know uh, amongst others you know um, and h- harnessing this, the skill the talent the 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 ideas that sort of uh, originate from fellow organisations and different bits of the sector i i like to describe ourselves as the commercial accelerator within that mix so how can we how can we help accelerate some of those great ideas some of that great knowledge how do we get it across that chasm that so often gobbles up you know the good ideas how do we get it uh, applied into projects you know so a lot of our innovation happens on live projects that's often how, how we can do it from a from a investing time and energy into it is we're, we're applying it to a commercial project uh, and those projects have quick short um, cycles and iterations and it means you get the learning really quickly and you can apply the learning really quickly uh, and I think a key ingredient um, going forward will be you know how do we how do we open up um, that that knowledge how do we make sure that we're not all innovating in silos and you know, how do we how do we ensure we don't duplicate effort, but each put our shoulder against the bit of it that we're best placed to do? And how do we how do we combine that effort and that knowledge and that uh, that capability to to really accelerate the deliverables? And that's you know that's with seeing increasing amounts of that. I'm really excited, you know, about the the work that's going on down down in Wales as well, and we, you know, collaborate quite a bit with uh, with uh, some of the same people uh, that, that Rob will be working with and things. And I, uh, you know, be really keen to do more of that. I think I think we're doing some fantastic work up up here in Scotland. You guys are doing some phenomenal work down there. How do we sort of combine that 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 effort and uh, make sure that
1: we're yeah, it's a multi- multiplier effect, um, ideally. Rob? Yeah, well, I think in collaboration, what's really important is that there's a clarity over the motivations, the drivers, and what the outcomes might be. and And that doesn't necessarily mean they all have to align. They have to be the same, just that there needs to be an openness about what they are. There will be financial and commercial interests and there may be many others, whether it's to do with developing circular economies and supply chains, whether it's just wanting to come up with something really clever. Whatever those motivations might be, the important thing is that they're shared with all of your collaborators and, and that everyone embraces them. You know, I think where we see projects not working is where that alignment doesn't happen and the understanding of what one party or another is is looking to get from a project isn't there, and um, that's definitely a, a key point. With what Matt's just described there, the the idea of delivering projects via uh, via innovation rather than just paper based studies, I think for us has always been such a great opportunity to actually test things in reality there's some risk and everyone's got to understand the shared risks again you know th- things may go unfortunately they they may go down a wrong route but the tensions that come from having a real life project to apply to apply ideas to is is such a a, a great opportunity compared with just sitting at our desk you know we can come up with all kinds of great things um in our you know on our desks in front of us and and even you know model them to death in uh, you know in CAD software and everything but when it comes to it and someone's actually got to put the timber together or work out how a volumetric um, solution gets actually delivered to site in you know the the rurality of Wales um, there's all of these tensions that that occur within a real life project which we have to try and see and that yeah is a great vehicle for innovation
0: Matt you used the term commercial accelerator mm-hmm. let's spend a minute just talking about what might be the the break or the breaks, mm. and some of the barriers that you that you've had to encounter can you talk us through some of the biggest barriers that you face in what you do sure can I throw one out just to see how you respond to it and that that's the c word culture and i'm just wondering mm. to what extent the dominant culture of the way we do things becomes mm. a bit of a a break on innovation
2: well yeah i think it's i think it's a good point and i guess we we operate within a industry which is geared for one way of delivering projects uh, and we're trying to deliver projects in a very different way and it is it, you know, so so your starting point is 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 one which is is flawed uh, from the point of view of enabling that. So what's what's required required is that everybody participating in that uh, in that process and in that project understands that you're trying to do something differently and is prepared for the journey that, that comes with that. Uh, uh, you know, and this sort of echoes what you know what Rob's just been been saying. Uh, you know, where we've seen. It fall down uh, is probably where we've collaborated um, on projects where the design and evolution phase have been very much uh, on an in- innovation footing, and then the actual delivery phase has, has reverted to the contractual norms of delivering the project, and you end up actually, you know, trying to you end up being judged on on, on a conventional contractual. Footing for a project that should, uh, uh, that all parties should understand and agree is is a pilot, a prototype. It's imperative that that's delivered as successfully as possible, but it's also realistic that it, it will take a different course, and there will be hurdles along the way. And at the point where you hit those hurdles, it's key that all parties have the presence of mind to to recognise it for what it is, and it's just a. a a bump in the road that needs to be navigated together but where where you have a challenge is where where the other party then pulls up the ladder and goes oh we'll just we'll just uh get our comfort of wrapping ourselves in a contractual sort of a uh a, a scenario so so that that's that's i think you know one of the key barriers and what that does is it just means it you know it rather than being a pilot project that leads to follow-on projects where you where you can aggregate that learning you know and and get the real benefit of that learning it you know it it stifles that and it's so important that projects go from that pilot phase to scale rollout so creating the right conditions for for that to happen is uh, is key and of course we you know we approach a situation like that full of the enthusiasm and uh, uh, and conviction of, of doing something collaborative something new something uh, interesting and uh, and don't necessarily protect ourselves against that that uh, that unwelcome scenario where not all parties engage in that so I think yeah just making sure and it's probably incumbent on on, on me for example you know uh, in, in a scenario like that you just make sure that, that that's uh, that's somehow built into the 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 strategy for rolling it out because a pilot can be a curse because you know if it if it only ever serves to be a pilot then what's the point uh hopefully you get learning hopefully get everything else but ideally it should be a
0: first project um of of many rob you will have experienced the curse of the pilot i'm sure but what about some of the barriers and some of the breaks that you have to encounter
1: yeah i think it's a really challenging period of time really for the industry because I think we're seeing there's a bit of a fight against innovation and that innovation is is becoming this this sort of word which has negative connotations by some parts of the industry where it's it's unknown and unproven and therefore risky and and unfortunately the way that we you know as an industry see risk is that we price for it and we Um, make contractual allowances for it and and we we try and control it as far as possible so that one party or another doesn't lose out unfairly that has the effect of discouraging innovation and you know whether that's technical innovation material innovation process you know and even longevity you know what we're what we're seeing, and particularly, you know, we're seeing it in the housing industry a lot, where we're finding insurance providers are really reacting against um, what we call modern methods of construction, which are, you know, methods of construction we've done for years and years, and materials we've used for years and years, but they're somehow seen as new and, and therefore challenging our understanding of of how they might perform over their life. So, we have to be really careful that we measure innovation and the risk associated with with innovation. You know, we put it in the right context. And I think, you know, that put an onus on anyone looking to innovate, that the right processes, that the right thinking is done, that that there is security in that process and that we do take every measure to uh, understand how, if it's a building, or a system, how it will perform during its life, and how the materials do, you know, uh, uh, react in certain contexts, and how we deal with fire, and that we, you know, we we embrace all of the best possible practices that we can to ensure that you know that innovation doesn't actually equal risk. But right now, that is the biggest challenge that we face.
0: It's odd, isn't it? Y- you would have thought that an insurance industry would would love the idea of innovation that might lead to homes that minimize the performance gap uh, you know down the line that's got to be in their interests hasn't it what am i missing matt
2: <laughs> well i don't know i mean if you if you flip there's al- there's always um how uh, so, you know associations made to the difference with the car industry and things like that so you know i suppose you know if you asked an insurer to uh, if you said we, we could buy a car that's manufactured in that factory uh, to exacting standards and great uh, quality control uh, standards but actually we think you should be more comfortable if uh, if if somebody just sends all all the bits and a load of spares um uh, to to my driveway and uh, my, and uh, we're going to get it assembled there um, you know it'd be preposterous to 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 imagine you know so so we do have a scenario where we can we can offer better quality standards you know highly auditable um, sort of um, uh, processes a, a product where so much more of the of the project budget ends up as the material that uh, that that endures um, and in a way that that has that, you know has has much Better asset value at the end and and longer term asset value, you know, uh, all, all all those ingredients it's it's yeah it's just it's it's a bit of a conundrum really why uh, why that would uh, not be embraced, um, you know, and 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 the, the whole risk piece, you know, it is just a, a, a intrinsic intrinsic to our, our industry, but the risk of not doing this stuff is so significant, it's it's you know, but it's a just a, a massive blind spot. So um, pivoting pivoting that. That that um, yeah that the lens through which that scene is really key and you know there's some great work I think being done on this I mean um, like Sir Gardner and Theobald have, um, have been doing uh, a series of, of uh, forums and seminars sort of webinars um, processes that's really trying to embrace with all 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 corners of the of the industry um, and take step by step uh, um, uh, different stakeholders through through you know what an off-site approach the focus is on mass timber sort of office uh, office builds but it's the the uh, the messaging is is consistent for, for all parts of, of what we do um, and I think initiatives like that are really important so uh, you know they can be a, something of a a uh, an honest broker in those discussions which uh, which I think is is hugely valuable
0: when you're doing things that are new and different and challenging and you face lots of hurdles what do you both have as your tests of success at the end of a at the end of a day when you can reflect and think oh, actually that has worked out as i hoped it would what are your indicators of of success in in what you do rob
1: it's a difficult question. I, I think, I mean, we, we're very fortunate that often we have a client. So our test of success is always the client sitting in front of us or or walking into their property or, or on the day that the timber frame is delivered and it all comes together. I say timber, it's not always exclusively timber, but uh, that, you know, that we we arrive on site on that big day and everything just goes together, you know, seeming, seeming. Uh, seemingly seamless although it's had a lot of thought and a lot, you know it, all, all of this background to it but it just comes together and the client standing there and and seeing that happen is often that you know the best possible reward because actually you know it shows you that um the difference to a traditional build again of the frustrations of coming to site every day and then not being someone there and and it being constantly you know a mess and um when it's raining there's no one you know there's no one there and and it's slow
0: i hope none of your current clients are listening to this <laughs> right
1: you know but but it's <laughs> it's um it, yeah that when it comes together and and this the the systems that we we're involved in um deliver that often it is the, a very short period of immediate kind of gratification um it's 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 very clearly successful, but you know there's there's always the you know the questions of you know has it saved money is it you know how's it performing you know have we have we managed to use the materials correctly you know what are the the, the challenges perhaps in the su- supply chain that we've overcome for example, and so there's there's other bits of success along the way. Um, but typically for us it's it's seeing a project come together. And often it's it's much earlier in the process than the final day when they when they get handed the keys. It's it's typically it's you know, because it's process, um it's typically much earlier.
0: Does that ring true for, for you, Matt? Have you got sim similar tests of success?
1: Yeah, totally. I think I think that
2: yeah, everything Rob, Rob said there sort of uh rings very true. I think it's that question, you know. Question you can ask, you know, uh, have we successfully delivered on on that innovation that we perceived? You know, have we arrived where we wanted to, or even better, have we arrived somewhere somewhere different because we 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 quickly learned and responded along the way? Uh, have we managed to do that within the kind of constraints of delivering product or project for for the, for the client? Um, how, you know, to to what extent has it moved the dial, and uh, and and what does it tell us about you know what the next step? you know, should and could be to to build upon that. And, you know, crucially how you know, how can we take that uh increment, uh, of, of improvement and and scale upon that and how can we disseminate that? How can we, you know, make that you know uh really uh, celebrate that so that you know that success of innovation can be seen by others and 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 used uh, as a catalyst either just to inspire you know people to do more of the same or to actually pick up and run with that particular innovation that's been uh, delivered
1: yeah i i I think that's personally i'm seeing as as really a, a really great measure of success as well is is that person whether it's a a builder or a client or whoever it may be, the 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 realization that oh, I get it. A, a lot of what we're dealing with right now is actually you know they're really complex ideas, particularly in the carbon story. And every person that you get that gets it, yeah, is is another vehicle for us. It's another you know it's another believer sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so trying to get that you know that realization moment is really. Yeah, really critical to us
2: yeah and and I, I just to reflect on that a little bit I, I think that's both those external stakeholders uh the client but it's also those people involved in the process so i think one of the one of the really exciting uh impacts and positives that we can have is is actually the the, the people who we involve in the process so um you know we, we're, we're fortunate to work with a lot of Students and graduates, you know, whether it's from from Napier or RGU or Strathclyde Unis, you, you know, that opportunity to take the the dynamic individuals that are, are coming out of the various courses, with some fantastic skill sets and a great attitude and ambition, you know, the ability to give them the opportunity to be part of a an innovative process and to deliver results, um, just gives. You know, such a strong platform for them moving forwards with their careers, and you know, the the wider that um, that engagement could, can be, the better. We're just just about to start a process with Harriet Watt uh, University. They've they've got their Solar Decathlon project. Um, there's uh, I'm not sure how many students, you know, uh, probably twenty twenty or more students, uh, probably more uh, involved in that project, and that one project can can serve as a catalyst to each of those. Um, uh, students careers you know they're they're the ones going out into the uh, to work within the built environment if each of those um, um, individuals can take with them an enthusiasm and a recognition of the importance of of doing something more sustainable more creative in their approach you know the carbon footprint uh, of all of those students combined is is phenomenal you know so that's inspiring you know work Work um, that uh, likes to de- design, engineer, construct uh, the, the the school's curriculum program by class of your own. In terms of inspiring the next uh, the next generation of uh, potential built environment uh, uh, professionals, um, is you know is is fantastic. That's you know, getting that early uh, inspiration for, for at, a, at a school age. Uh, you know, the, that's yeah, the the transformative effect that we can have by uh, by really enge- engendering you know an innovative and, and sustainable approach a, amongst that that cohort is massive.
1: Rob, I'd add to that is that we're you know what we we find is just how kind of resistant the industry is. So you know, just taking a an extension project that we've just we've just done, where everyone involved in the project. Contractor, engineers were were all dead against us doing it the way we wanted to do it. Uh, we delivered part of the project as a prefabricated um, timber frame. Was assembled in a day. The contractor was there, the engineer visited. Everyone came to see it. Everyone was highly skeptical. Everyone was pricing risk for us doing it. And yet it went perfectly and they were all blown away. And the message that they they've all given since, and they've given it by wanting to do other projects this way, has been immensely positive. You know, it's well, yeah, of course, this is, it was fantastic. You know, we we can achieve all sorts of things if we were to think this way. But beforehand, you you know, it's a brick wall. It's it's completely, you know, complete barriers to it for no real good reason, but just if they don't know it they they're resistant to it i think generally in the industry so yeah challenge
0: i wanted to ask you to touch on the role of government in all of this uh, and whether or not you think there is a role for the government and and if there is what that should be because you've talked a lot of, about the industry and some of the stakeholders in the industry and uh, some of the things that you can see around you that are successful is there an opportunity do you think for or a need even for government to be involved in any sense in in what you're doing matt can i throw that one up to you first sure
2: yeah, no, I think that absolutely is, you know, I think, uh, I think ind- you know, individuals like and myself will, will always seek to innovate, uh, and will seek to do that in a way that, that supports uh, transformation within the, the industry. But, but the reality of it is there needs to be also policy and regulation, uh, that, that underpins that transformation, uh, because, you know, uh, inevitably a big, big, Big section of the industry will will seek to deliver uh, to the minimum start standard required, you know, and and building regulations are established to create a a minimum standard, and that shouldn't be a target, <laughs> you know, it should be a it should be a, a baseline uh, the threshold. So I think it's, it's it's crucial that there's policy and regulation that are brought in to to support a, a more proactive approach to things. Um, but I think the, the the role of government can also be, you know, in terms of setting setting the scene so you know there's a there's an opportunity from from a procurement perspective to actually you know procure positively um to support this sort of innovation great to to get grants great to get have innovation funding sort of available but actually let's you know let's see procurement um driving some of those opportunities and uh, creating some real real exciting use case um, projects and, and and we're starting to see that you know i'm excited we've got a, a, a scottish government funded project and a, a and a uk gov funded project both running at the moment which seek to uh recognize the, the 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 opportunity with that um i think i think that can be bolder you look at you know uh, france have made you know really progressive uh, moves to 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 require that fifty percent you know, of all public building is timber based, and I think there's an assumption towards preferencing, uh, uh homegrown uh, material for that. So, you know, the, the uh, a stride like that can make real difference. And and it's important to note that whilst there's never been a, a better time in terms of an awareness of the importance of embodied energy, you know it's been really exciting over the last few years to see that. Rob and I will have been sort of pushing that agenda for for, for years, but finally there's a, a recognition of the the relevance and importance of embodied carbon. Um, so that creates you know perfect conditions to, uh, to 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 push push our agenda forward. However, in tandem with that, you end up with you know. Counterproductive potential policy changes, like you know, the response um, to to the Grenfell fire, which you know. Uh, you know the absolute tragedy that that was, but you know th- that wasn't as a result of timber-based uh, products. It was a petroleum-based sort of product, um, and and uh, uh, something of a knee-jerk reaction that I don't believe is science-based, but rather sort of politically sort of driven by by UK Gov is to is to look to restrict the height uh, at which we can build with uh, combustible materials, with timber materials, with engineered timber materials, and that's. You know that's bonkers in a, in, a, in a at a point in time where we need to be working with these materials more. Um, and you know within the UK where we've been pioneering the use of uh, CLT in construction and engineered timber in construction, we've been a real sort of beacon for for that work. And 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 suddenly that that. Uh, uh, our, our ability to deliver more on that is is stifled, and we've become a, a bit of a backwater rather than the, uh, uh, the the key player. So definitely, a lot more that could
1: be done across the piece.
0: Okay, Rob, your your take on whether there's a role for for government?
1: Yeah, okay. Well, just picking up on on what Matt just said, I think we're hearing a lot at the moment about the science and the data. I think that's that's where we need to be. With you know, we need to be making really well informed decisions based on based on the science based on the data um, and i think we're in a point in time where regulation needs to dramatically change we're going to have to look at embodied carbon as as one of those areas the role ne- really needs to to be is about getting honesty about Finding methods which actually present these minimum standards as they are, the minimum standards, and demand honesty from people through evidence, through data, through actual performance, through careful measurement processes, we get data that's robust. And we actually understand how our buildings are performing, whether that's in energy terms or in carbon terms, you know, we, we, we need to be demanding that. Of our industry, because at the moment there's too many, there are too many gaps. There are too many ways that we can present pictures that are better than the ones that we're building, and in the end, that's where we will miss all of our targets. You know, however stringent, however tight they are, and however kind of ambitious we our regulations are, if we don't close the gaps in the evidence we demand of them, then we, we're going to keep missing. Um, and we're going to give those those opportunities for you know for get out of jail free cards sort of thing. So that's a critical role. I've you know massively benefited from the Welsh government innovative housing program. You know I've been involved in a couple of projects which have allowed us to do some fantastic things. We can't stop now. There have been some good things that have come from that. There's been a lot of challenges that have emerged out of that program there's been some disappointments. I think there's, you know, there's certainly been some areas where they've, they've had to change direction because it hasn't been viable for whatever reason. So we need to learn from all of that, but we also need to make sure that we can keep going. And the reality of, you know, we, we are working with, um, with housing associations and local authority housing services is, you know, right now it, we can't build high performance housing for the same price that someone else can build minimum standard housing. So it it needs investment. And there's a role there for Welsh Government to step up and say, we're going to invest in our housing stock. We're going to continue to invest in our housing stock. And we're going to continue to enable the necessary improvements, both in design and, and evidencing, but also in delivery. The other thing is, you know, we've, we've come out and in in Wales, we've we've stated in a in number of ways the the role of modern methods of construction uh, in delivering housing. We're already doing that. We already, you know, we have a great uh, MMC industry in Wales. Uh, we need to keep back in it. We need to be clear with what we're asking for. And, you know, the message from a, a, a lot of our collaborators in that sense is give us a you know a, a, a clear strategy give us a clear definition and and we we'll, we'll, we can deliver it so i think there's lots of opportunities for the welsh government to create a fantastic industry in wales it's a really important role it does require investment but the investment is has huge rewards you know whether it's in supply chains um the development of the industry and in the end the development of you know if we think just about the housing industry first-rate housing that is um that is energy efficient um high quality and and robust and you know those are the opportunities out there so there's a role to play
0: brilliant matt up in scotland you've got this important conference coming in in a few months are you going to get an opportunity to talk to a a wider audience about some of what you're involved in is are those kind of opportunities being created or is this one of these conferences where people will kind of metaphorically virtually arrive from all around the world for a few days and then disappear
2: uh i certainly hope that we'll we can use that as a as a as a platform We, we intend to use it as a platform to to really sort of uh uh shout about what's what what we're doing uh but you know about what can be done what we've we've just manufactured our homegrown mass timber demonstrator unit which is a two bed duplex uh, unit for for synergy uh which will you know we we intend to exhibit at uh at COP26 and use as as you know a focal point for a lot of that discussion um chances are that we'll have you know have other projects as well um that will be delivered between now and uh, and and COP which uh, we can also use to signpost uh the, the the work that's going on um and and hopefully that can be uh, about that, the, the the collaboration piece as well. So you know the the um, it needs to be a a unified sort of um, call uh, across the the various stakeholders that the, that are involved in the projects that we're doing, and hopefully sort of uh, also combining combining voices with others and 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 really using that. It's it's an it's an ideal opportunity, you know, it's a platform on the world world stage. Obviously, it should be a responsive audience. Um, we need to make sure that it is, but we also need to make sure that it, it isn't an echo chamber and that that, that, uh, that message is is broadcast uh, more, much more widely.
0: Can I just quickly ask you how you both got into working with timber and an engineer timber? What uh, What's the reason why you've ended up working with with wood is that is there a particular reason do you have a a particular passion or uh, or am i am i at risk of putting words into your mouth rob what's what's your reason for for liking wood
1: well i think for me i came into architecture from the point of view of wanting to make things rather than draw things i so my background is in more in kind of design technology than art and i've always enjoyed making I think that there is a real challenge for us as an in as a profession in connecting what we do sat at our desks on our on on our screens with what gets delivered in reality and this you know the the danger of detachment from from those two two things is 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 what threatens us as a, as a profession, really. We have to understand what we're, the materials we're using and, and the, um, and the methods that we're, we, we're using to realize them. So for me, it's always been, I can work with timber. It's accessible. It's, I, you know, whether it's, um, whether it's, something small by hand or you know making models it's just always been something that i can work with and and it's and it's accessible and then you know as i've kind of developed my career in wales the reality of the industry that's out there and the opportunity for that industry i think is just phenomenal it's it's the one you know if if there is to be a green recovery out of this current situation my my feeling is it's, it's that timber frame industry, it's, it will stand the test of time and, and, and weather all of the threats that unfortunately we've seen great losses of industry in Wales you know, over the last decades, timber is the one for me. So um, put that together with carbon and, and all of the other parts of the story, it's, it's a win-win.
0: Matt, do you have a, a similar story?
1: the the drive was to create
2: healthy uh, regenerative building solutions so you know with that as with that as the criteria you know timber is is the obvious choice so um you know there, there is there is a wider objective of you know so uh, uh, along with um Napier and CSIC we 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 we've established what we're describing as the sort of biogenic offsite manufacture accelerator um which is really looking to see you know how can we how can we use more of the homegrown biogenic-based materials? Um, but but really, tim- timber uh, is 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 the one at the the top of the, the pile. Um, so it that's you know so we would see the work that we're doing currently with uh, with demonstrating that that homegrown material is suitable for 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 manufacturing cross laminated glue laminated nail laminated timber products. Um, uh, and you know our our, our objective is to uh, to commercialize those products um um but but thereafter to see the commercialization of those pro- products being the catalyst for wider uh, wider uh, evolution of those biogenic based based, based products of so timber t- you know timber's the obvious go to choice you know we, we know that buildings built with timber are healthier um, you know there's science. you know plenty of scientific evidence to the to the health giving sort of characteristics that that can provide um, the um, you know, beyond that, you know, it'd be great to look at uh, manufacturing wood fibre. Um, there's there's already sort of uh, cellulose as is a is a, is a great insulation product, and PYC down down in Wales, obviously, sort of you know um, at the forefront of, of that within the UK. Um, you know, what are the other what are the other ways that we can use that um, that regenerative resource? You know, so I, I think you know what are some of the exciting um opportunities going forwards the future innovations will be well you know actually how can we have a uh, an impact beyond the sort of growing cycle of a of a tree so what you know what other sort of grown products are there how can we harness them how can we use them in a in a balance so so yeah passionate about timber uh, and but also um excited about how that's just the starting point uh, for,
0: for a biogenic uh, revolution and evolution. Oh, I like the sound of that revolution and evolution. <laughs> Final question: Are you optimistic about the future as you see it sitting in front of your screen doing a podcast today? Or are we twenty twenty one? Are you are you an optimist, Rob?
1: Yes, I, so I am optimistic. I, th- I think it's it's easy to go into conversations optimistic and have that confidence. Um, eroded quite quickly um, particularly you know in, in the current climate because there are so many factors that people are wrestling with right now and in the absence of regulation for example in in, in embodied carbon terms it's, it's sort of a it's not my problem yet um, sort of position to be in so I think I'm really optimistic that we've got solutions, that we've got really phenomenal answers to these big questions, and that we can overcome the barriers that exist. I think what tarnishes that rather is um, that others are so entrenched, and that we've got such a long way to go with bringing people with us. So there's a you know a, a long way to go, and we've got a big challenge you know in front of us. Um, but we've—I think we've got so many of the answers already. Matt,
2: yeah, I think uh, I think you have to be an optimist to to, to innovate, surely, uh, and it's, it's no doubt what sustain uh, sustains us, you know, uh, when when confronted with hurdles and barriers. Um, so to 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 use this podcast to promote another podcast, uh, there's a, there's a fantastic podcast called Outrage and Optimism, um, and uh, it's uh, Christiana. Guerras and Paul Dickinson and Tom rivett carnock who I think were all involved in the sort of um, the the Paris um, Agreement, uh, yeah, real sort of key 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 players within that. And uh, what's what's great about the theme of that is, you know, it's we need to be optimistic, but we need we need that outrage as well, you know. So let's let's bang the table, um, but bang, you know. Bang it with a with a with solutions uh, available. Have a have a solution in one hand and and you know really sort of um, bang the fist with the you know, with the other hand because you know it's it's really important that that we do say that this isn't good enough and that we do uh, insist upon change. So so yeah, I think I think a combination of the the positive energies that can come from that outrage and that optimism is hopefully
0: uh, you know what what can uh, uh, what can engender the change that needs to happen? That's brilliant. Look, I've I've exhausted all my questions and a few more as well. Is there anything that either of you particularly wanted to say that you've not had a chance to to mention? Any any particular um, points that you wanted to get across that you don't feel you have done, Rob?
1: No, I don't think so. Um, thank you for yeah. Thanks for the opportunity,
0: Matt.
2: No, I
1: think I. It's a bit felt like a a pretty
2: comprehensive conversation so that's been great and yeah thanks for the opportunity i guess just you know may it stimulate more collaboration and uh yeah uh that, that yeah certainly welcome that
0: that would be a really positive outcome for me the thought that we're not just making a recording of something that's going to go out on the airwaves but the people that end up listening to it might think hang on a minute there's a real opportunity to learn more get involved and to and to collaborate yeah that would be great
1: one little message that might be worth making david is um is just that actually a lot of the work that i do and i and i think a lot of the work that matt does as well is very accessible mm-hmm. either open source or even where there are commercial constraints it's often very um you know we we're, we're very willing to talk about it i'm i'm sure matt is the same yeah. um and 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 there's typically, there's there's quite a bit in the public realm anyway. So um, that collaboration can absolutely happen. I think, you know, I would fully embrace that.
0: Good to see you both. Have a good day and uh, take care. Yeah,
1: yeah. Good to see you. See you soon. Thanks. Speak to you soon.
0: A big thank you to Rob and Matt for making time for the podcast. If you're interested in the idea of collaboration... We've provided email contacts for both Rob and Matt on the Wood Knowledge Wales website, which is where you can find links to the other podcasts in the series and where you can find out more about the Homegrown Homes project. I'm David Hedges. Thanks for listening.